0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Just in case you didn't have a chance to uh, go over the review video which we sent out over the e-bulletin, hopefully you had a chance to view that. If you you didn't, I would still encourage you to check it out. Um, I'll give you the cliff notes of of what's been going on in Luke so far so that we're all caught up. We know what's going on. And so uh, I'll do that right now. So up to this point, uh, we've witnessed the birth of the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, who was foretold by John the Baptist as as one who would bring salvation from God. And upon being baptized by John around the age of, of 30, we guess, Jesus was filled by the Spirit came upon him like a dove, and a voice from heaven declared to him, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then after that, Jesus was immediately led out into the desert where he was tempted three times by Satan, but with the truth of Scripture as his shield, Jesus remained steadfast. And at that point, having now been prepared, having now been filled with the Spirit, Jesus' ministry began. He then traveled through Galilee from Nazareth to Capernaum and to the surrounding areas where he proclaimed and he taught about the kingdom of God. He selected his 12 disciples. He demonstrated his authority as he healed the sick and the lame and, and the blind, and he cast out demons, and he calmed a storm, and he forgave sin as only the Son of God could. And, of course, he was confronted by the hypocritical and self-righteous Pharisees and scribes who questioned and, and challenged him at almost every turn, especially when he healed on the Sabbath. So in all, uh, Jesus' ministry up to that point, I think can be summed up well by his own words from Luke four eighteen to 19 where Jesus says, "...the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor." He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is why Jesus came. And then as we come to the passage this morning, we'll find that his 12 disciples had also just returned from being sent by Jesus to go out on their own mission throughout the nearby towns to do the same, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and to perform healings and to even cast out demons by his authority and by his provision. So now we're all caught up. Um, If you want to please turn with me now to Luke 9. We're going to be starting at verse 10 and going to verse 17. So Luke 9, 10 to 17. before I read the word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that we could all be here this morning, gathered together as the body of Christ, ready to learn from you, Lord God. And so I pray that, that you would open our hearts to receive uh, the lessons you would have for us, Lord God, that you would change our hearts, Lord God, as we dig into your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke 9, 10 to 17 says this. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. That's the word of the Lord. So my guess is that you've probably heard this story before, right? Yeah, well, probably a lot. The, the account of Jesus' miraculous feeding of the 5,000 with only five loaves and two fish is incredibly well known. And in fact, it's the only account uh, during Jesus' ministry which shows up in all four Gospels. It shows up in all four of them. And that easily leads us to assume that, that, that it must have had a significant impact on Jesus' disciples as well in and, and how they begin to see Jesus as Lord and in and, and how they start learning to trust in him, and in his provision. And this lesson in particular to, to rely on his provision is one that Jesus had already began to teach them when he'd, when he'd sent them out on a mission to proclaim the kingdom of God with no money and no supplies, They were meant to trust in the Lord's authority and supply as they walked in obedience. And and as I said earlier, we can see in our passage from this morning that they just returned from that mission alive and and well, excited to tell Jesus all that had happened and, and how they'd been provided for every step of the way. And I'm sure they were also excited to hear what Jesus had to say about it and and figured they'd have a chance to probably converse with him on the subject all day. That is, once they'd crossed the Sea of Galilee into the remote northeastern location of Bethsaida, where they could withdraw from everyone and maybe get some respite and alone time. But as it happened, somehow, Word went out that some, somehow someone discovered that this rabbi, this healer, this Jesus had gone to that area, and so before they knew it, a large crowd had come along looking for him. A crowd, it says, of about 5,000 men. So that's 5,000 men plus whatever women and children had come along with them. So that, that's a very large crowd. That's like an NHL stadium full of people. That's a large crowd. And so I can imagine the disciples possibly becoming, I'm just guessing here, but I can imagine them possibly becoming a little ornery at this, this turn of events. They're saying, like, like come on. Can, can we get any time with Jesus to ourselves? And I'm only assuming they'd be saying this based on the fact that any of us would be annoyed to have our time of rest interrupted, right? Yeah, come on. When you're trying to have a nap and someone interrupts you. Not to mention that the disciples are well known for attempting to turn people away from Jesus if they, if they thought they'd be a bother to him or not worth his time. Which means one of the lessons the disciples needed to, to learn over and over again was how to have compassion and in the same sense to put away partiality. Which Jesus exemplified for them here in a big way. Not not only did Jesus welcome the crowd with open arms, but he also spent all day well into the evening giving them his attention by healing their diseases and teaching them about the kingdom of God. And and to top it off, even though he didn't have to, he miraculously fed every single person there until each one was fully satisfied. And this is an an amazing reminder uh, for the disciples and of course for us of who Jesus is. He's proving here that, that He is the Christ, the Son of the only God, the God who provided the manna in the desert. And that He's full of compassion, that, that He's the healer, He's the teacher of truth, He's the, the miracle worker, He's full of grace and mercy, he's, he's willing to receive anyone at any time when they seek Him in faith. And that those who do find that He's also the provider and that He completely satisfies on that end, and again, just like the manna in the desert during the time of Moses, this, this bread and fish which were given and, and, and consumed by the crowd that evening, it certainly demonstrates for us that God cares about our physical well-being. And he does. He gives us our daily bread. That's what we're supposed to pray each day, right? Give us our daily bread. And God does do that. He cares about our physical well-being. But yet, the obvious reality here is that this meal that they were given would only satisfy them for that day. The next morning, they'll, they'll certainly be, be hungry again, which is why Jesus actually takes the next morning to teach them the deeper purpose for the miracle, which was to show them that there's a hunger deeper than that of our stomachs and that he's the one who has come to satisfy it. As Jesus says from John 6, verse 26 and 31 to 35. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Every single one of us, Every single one of us because of sin has a hunger and a thirst in our souls which cannot be quenched by anything other than the body and blood of Jesus Christ. He's better than the manna in the desert. He's more satisfying than the miraculous loaves and fish. He fulfills our souls for eternity. Theologian Warren Wiersbe writes, this miracle was more than an act of mercy for hungry people though that was important. It was also a sign of our Lord's Messiahship and an illustration of God's gracious provision for man's salvation. And Jesus also reiterates himself from John 6, 48 to 51, saying again, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died But this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus gave himself for us, right? His body broken, his blood shed, the grave overcome in order to defeat sin and death, in order that we may be saved and covered in his righteousness and giving new and satisfying life. And, and so at this point, I want to say to you all this morning that if you're experiencing the hunger pangs of the soul, if you're experiencing hurt, if you're experiencing loneliness, if you're experiencing guilt and shame for your sin, if you're experiencing feelings of unworthiness or joylessness, if you're trapped in an addiction if you're experiencing hopelessness or purposelessness, if you're afraid, if nothing from this world is satisfying you, if you're experiencing deep-seated bitterness or anger, or if you've been trying to quench that, that deep hunger and thirst through worldly pleasure and it's not working, or or by trying hard to be good and moral in your own strength and you're finding it too much of a burden to bear, then come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Accept his invitation to feast on his bread and to quench your thirst with his drink. And by his grace and through the power of his death and resurrection, you will be forgiven. You will be set free. You will be satisfied. You will be given new life. And then you can come back next week and get baptized. Give up your old life and exchange it with the fulfilling new life, which Jesus won for us at the cross. Come to Jesus. And speaking of living for Jesus, I, I, I believe that the disciples also learned some incredibly invaluable lessons that evening as, as, as to what living for him both looks like and how it can be accomplished. That is, Jesus used this opportunity to teach them, first of all, that they were to be his hands and feet in in bringing what he offers to the world, and secondly, that they could only accomplish that task by trusting in his power and in his provision. It doesn't start well for the disciples, though. As dusk starts to settle upon them, they notice that the crowd has nothing to eat, which I guess is commendable that they're, that they're noticing that at least. But their solution is one which most of us human beings, I think, can relate to at times. Their solution is to make sure that someone else's problem doesn't become their problem. Right? Their solution is to make sure that someone else's problem doesn't become their problem. And so so they go to Jesus and say, send them all away. We notice they're hungry, so send them all away to go to the nearby towns so they can fend for themselves. And it's it's probable that they would figured feeding them all really wasn't their responsibility anyway, since it, it was the crowd who'd followed them and interrupted them in what was supposed to be their time of rest. This is their opportunity to, to get rid of them. <laughs> and I don't want to point any fingers here, but, but my guess is that there's been moments in each of our lives when, where we've done something similar, where, where we've seen someone in need, someone hungry or thirsty or in trouble, and instead of helping them, you know, we kind of weaseled our way out of it or, or, or avoided stepping into the mess and being that good Samaritan. By using one of these many excuses, or at least something like them. You know, such as, well, that's not my problem. They made their bed so they can lie in it. Or I'm busy. Go go ask someone else. Someone else will help you. I'm not responsible for you. I, I have my own issues. I got my own problems. No one helps me. Or you make it sound spiritual. Well, that's not my gifting. Or, I'm not able to give you what you need. Or, there's government programs for that. Or, you need something? Oh, hold on. I'll get the pastor for you. And it's true. I've been summoned many times to help a person in need while wondering why the person summoning me didn't just help that person themselves. Didn't God place that person in front of them? Right? And it's not that I'm not game for helping, I certainly am. And it's also true that that, you know, as pastors, we do have access to resources from the church for certain things. So at times it makes sense to come to us. Absolutely. And we'll support you and when when you're helping others. But still, sometimes in those moments, I I wish that I could just bluntly echo Jesus' words to the disciples when he says to them, You give them something to eat. You Give them something to eat. You feed them. Right? In essence, he's saying, them, he's saying to them, you do it. Make their troubles yours to resolve. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so even while they're quick to dismiss the crowd, Jesus challenges them to instead, do as he's been doing to have compassion on them and to provide for them. James two fourteen to 16 echoes this sent sentiment and actually shows us that the, that, that the lesson was, was probably surely learned since this is what they're now teaching, right? James two fourteen to 16, it says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body? What good is that? As followers of Jesus, we're called to emulate him in his compassion and kindness through both word and deed to visibly and tangibly model what Jesus did for us in our sin and in our lives. For the disciples, though, I think the, the biggest issue about this particular situation was that unlike us today, they didn't have skip the dishes back then. Poor souls, right? They, they had no way of buying and, and, and shipping in more food since they were in such a remote location. All they had in their possession were five loaves and two fish. That is not going to feed an NHL stadium full of people. Five loaves and two fish. And so my guess is that in their mind, and in light of their own limited resources and, and capabilities, they couldn't help such a large crowd even if they wanted to. It was impossible. And they're not wrong. For them, on their own, it was impossible. But not for God. not for God. And, and here's one of the primary lessons for us today, which, which, which I believe the disciples also learned here, that when Jesus calls us to go and do something in his name, he will be the one who provides the resources and the power for us to do it. We're simply called to be faithful with what we have, and he'll provide the rest. The disciples thought they couldn't help the crowd because they had their focus on themselves and on their own limited resources and abilities, but Jesus had his eyes on the Father, right? And as he did, he blessed the loaves and the the fish, and they were miraculously multiplied into providing enough food for everyone there, even leaving 12 basketfuls, which it seems is equal to one basketful for each of the disciples, even more than they had to start out with. The point is, if Jesus calls us, he will equip us. If Jesus calls us to be generous, he'll provide the means. If Jesus calls us to step out in faith, he'll empower us to do it. Even and especially when we might feel weak, insufficient, ill-prepared, or unqualified for the task, he'll provide what's needed at the right time. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, this is Paul speaking, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is both a lesson and an encouragement for us to to walk in faith and, and to trust, not in ourselves and what we're capable of, but in the Lord's provision and power as he leads us and as he calls us. But it's not about what or how much we have to give. It's about what and how much Jesus has and will give through us. Which means you're never too poor to give generously when you feel compelled by the Spirit to do so. You have Jesus. You're never too weak to help carry someone's burden with them. You have Jesus. You're never too hungry or without to share your food with others. You have Jesus. You're never too busy to serve others or spend time listening to and praying for the hurting. You have Jesus. You're never too unequipped to do what he's called you to do because you have Jesus and he's given us his grace and his word and his spirit to guide us and strengthen us and work in us as we follow after him. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. And this is a lesson which I am personally reminded of daily as well. Not, not only as a Christian, but specifically as a pastor. And, and if I can be honest, which, which I always am when I'm up here, rarely a day goes by when I don't feel at least somewhat inadequate or unsuited for the calling which I've been given. Especially, you know, if I start comparing myself to other pastors or ministries out there. But you know what? This also means that daily, I've found that, that the Lord is the one who's given me his resources, his strength, his resolve, his words, his, and his power to do what he's called me to do. And, and even on the days where, where I forget to turn my eyes to him in prayer, I get busy or whatever, I forget to ask him to, for his blessing and his guidance. On, it's usually on those days where I come home burnt out and, and, and exhausted and discouraged in myself. I find that even on those days, I can look back and find that his grace and his purpose still abounded. So what I'm saying is, is that, that over time I've learned as the disciples did in this passage, that, that we are simply meant to be faithful vessels through which God can do his good and perfect work. I simply learned to boast in my weaknesses, just as the Apostle Paul did. We are meant to be his vessels. As Warren Wearsby again writes, Jesus was the producer, and his disciples were the distributors. Jesus was the producer and his disciples were the distributors. So as he calls us to distribute, to be his hands and feet, to be his vessels, we we can trust in the fact that he'll multiply, he'll provide whatever it is we're called to give in order to get the job done. Our work is not in vain. Daryl Bach concurs with this when he writes, the disciples learn that Jesus is the source of provision for their own ministry. They are to model Jesus' style of ministry as they depend on what he can give them. They are to provide food for the crowd and through Jesus they do so. He supplies with abundance and they are the vessels bearing the provision. So when we, when we see someone in need, someone hungry or, or hurting or thirsty, or if God calls us to do something which seems insurmountable for us, Let's not run from it because we think we can't do it or or leave it for someone else to deal with. Again, even if we think we're unable to do anything about it, let's let's just start with, with, with doing what we can according to the grace we've been given and then trust in God to work in and through us while we do it. Knowing that these moments which seem beyond our capabilities are only just opportunities for God to miraculously and powerly reveal himself through. That God's power is made perfect in weakness. Those are the best times to go and obey. Because that's when God's power is made perfect. That's when he reveals himself. As as, as Corey Ten Boom once wrote, let God's promises shine on your problems. So again, Jesus demonstrates here that, that he is the authority and that he is with us, he provides for us, and he enables us to finish the assignments that he gives us. But on that note, the disciples were also starting to learn what their true assignment was. And it can be summed up nicely when Jesus tells them again, you, you give them something to eat. Of course, as we've been, we've been talking about, the obvious assignment in that moment was to model Christ-like compassion by literally feeding the hungry. And again, Jesus miraculously provided the means for his disciples to do it, but yet there was still an even deeper assignment behind the assignment in that they weren't just being taught in that moment to feed bread to the hungry. They were learning that they were meant to feed them the bread of life. And later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he'll make this assignment even more clear to them He he specifically instructs Peter to feed his sheep. He also instructs them all to to make disciples of all nations by teaching the good news of Jesus and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he teaches them to go. Feed them Jesus. But he also follows that commission with a promise that, that he'll also be with them. Right? That, that they won't be alone in it, but that his spirit will empower them to do it. So distribute Jesus by Jesus' power and provision. That's their calling. That's what they're learning here. That's what they're beginning to learn there. And, and this is the same call, or great commission, rather, for all spirit-filled believers to offer and proclaim the good news of Jesus to a sinful world that's hungry and starving for him. So let's not shy away from our purpose. This, this, is, this is the reason that we're still here on this earth and not partying it up with God in heaven right now. We're here to be his hands and feet, his vessels, living temples. And as such, we can trust that he'll equip us by his word and in his authority and in his power as we do it. Of course, as we've been talking about, this passage and and other parts of Scripture remind us that we can and should practically demonstrate our faith and exemplify Jesus' compassion and grace by physically feeding the hungry and by giving to the poor, by clothing the naked, by loving our neighbor, standing up for justice, and, and, and serving the orphan and the widow. And again, as we're faithful in that, God will provide the means for us to do it. But the ultimate purpose for it all is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to offer up the bread of life, Jesus Christ, to the world so they can eat of it, so they can be forgiven of their sin and be eternally satisfied in their souls. For as it is written in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So in conclusion then, Let's go out into the world with confidence and faith in the one who's conquered our sin and satisfied our souls. Let's boldly proclaim and exemplify the one who promises to equip us and provide for us as we do it. Let's pray. Jesus, you satisfy our souls. Lord, I thank you that you came, you humbly came to us to rescue us, to feed us, even when we didn't know we were, we were hungry. Jesus I thank you for your salvation I thank you for the new life that you've given us Lord God But Lord I pray that that we would we would not keep that to ourselves but recognize that that you've not just uh, saved us as individuals, but as the body of Christ, you've saved us to be your vessels on this earth, to be living temples, to go out and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us the boldness to do that, that you would give us the desire and the passion to go in your name and to tell people about who you are and what you've done, about your salvation, about your grace. Lord, I pray that when we do see people that are hurting, that we, when we see people in need, that we wouldn't shy away or, or make excuses, Lord God, but that we would trust in you to provide as we serve, as we give, as we lift up others in your name, as we love our neighbor. Lord, give us a passion for your name, a deeper passion for your name. Fill us with your spirit. Anoint us to go and be your vessels to be your hands and feet. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.